This is Eric Davey from Canada Cone, and you're listening to the SFME Stories Podcast. You are now listening to the next great small business podcast. Welcome to the SME Stories Podcast, where it is all about small businesses in Canada. And here's your host, Ken Alfred. Hey everybody, thanks for downloading the show. We have a great episode today with Eric Davey. He's the owner-operator of Canada Cone with his wife, Myla, and their team mascot, Olivia. Canada Cone is a family-owned business based in downtown Whitby. They're proud to work in the community where they live, and they bring a nostalgia back with a fleet of ice cream bicycles. They also offer delivery through the various food delivery platforms like Uber Eats, Skip the Dishes, and DoorDash. In addition, they also do private parties and corporate events. Eric and I have known each other for several years. We both worked at St. John Ambulance as medical first responders, and we worked various shifts covering figure skating events, minor league hockey games for the Oshawa Generals, and even worked a WWE live event. Entrepreneur plus a husband and father, He's going to educate us with his stories. So sit back and absorb. Thanks, everybody, for joining. We have Eric Davey of Canada Cone. Eric, how are you doing, my friend? Living the dream, buddy. There, that, aren't we all? Aren't we all? So I got to say, it's a lot easier to live the dream inside during the wintertime than it is the summertime. Yes, very much. Because I don't know if you guys know about this. He's going to really tell us this story. But Eric is a hustler, man. Like He works extremely hard. His social media is very active, especially during his peak periods, which is great. And I think you get a little bit of a reprieve now because we're going to be talking about Canada Cone. So Canada Cone, what is your story? So we started three years ago now. We're an ice cream bicycle business that operates here in Whitby. You know, for those in the stratosphere here that remember Dickie D, Dickie D was like the original ice cream bicycle conglomerate. And they operated, I think at one point in time, they had 15,000 bikes across Canada and so into the U.S. Gone the way that the total bird. But what kind of happened was my wife and I were sitting around one day thinking, I don't like my job. So I had to start thinking about something I could do that I would actually like and appreciate. And, and everything that's old and is new again category, we're looking at all these things like, you know, oh, this is making a comeback. This is making a comeback. And I said to Myla, I was like, you know what? Dickie D would do so well nowadays. It's such a nostalgia thing. Everybody that grew up on Dickie D, like now is old and has the expendable income. And it's something that went away. And now you have the added benefit of like mobile debit is available, debit, credit, whatever. So when you're, when you were a kid, like your parents were like, oh, I don't have any money. We can't get you an ice cream. There's no excuse out. Apple pay, Android pay. MasterCard, Amex, like all of that is there and available just like the pizza delivery guy, right? So we, we've, I found a bike for sale on Kijiji. So I went over to visit the guy, take a look at the bike. I wanted 3000 bucks to this thing. And uh, I get there and he's, oh yeah, I used to own a Dickie D franchise and I actually have four bikes left and I'm trying to sell them all. I'll make you a deal if you buy all four. And I was, okay. <laughs> so I went home and told Myla that I bought four bikes and she was like, what? <laughs> this thing better work. So I'll share some numbers with you because I think it's important to the story for your listeners to understand. So mm. we actually originally bought into the business for about $15,000. So that was the bikes, freezers, products. And it's not just, you can't just go to Costco and buy product or you can't just go to the grocery store. You have to have specialty relationships with like, I'll use GFS and like Cisco and stuff like that. But 
they're different vendors than that. So we were into the business for about 15 and then as we got into the business and realized there were some things missing, we ended up investing about another five. So by the time like August hit, we were 20K into the business. So it was like, oh, well, this is more than we anticipated. But as we started out year one, we were doing the, what I call the pedal and pray model. So we were like sending riders out there, you pedal around, you try and find business. And it was tough sledding in the very beginning. Like we had riders coming back with $3 in sales, oh. meaning they sold one ice cream in four hours. And then as we got a little smarter, we'd A, send them to areas where we knew baseball games were happening, soccer games were happening. They were coming back with a couple hundred dollars worth of sales, a little bit easier out of them. And then parties or events, going to a festival, making five to $1,000 in 500 to $1,000 in sales. So it was getting a lot easier and a clearer picture when that kind of came about. So that was year one. We ended up finishing with about 45000 in sales out of our 20000 investment, and everything went right back to the business. We made zero money. As I, I was, I would assume most entrepreneurs do, right? So we finished out that season. We ended up with eight bikes by the end of the season. So we bought four more. And there's, not to tell everybody my trade secrets, but there's always bikes out there and available. But it's some range from $300 in price to $3,000 in price. The more you pay, the better the quality of the bike. Uh, so that was year one. And that's kind of like the origin story of where we started and how it all came about. And even in the infancy stage of that, we got onto Uber and Skip and DoorDash selling not only the novelties all on there, but we expanded the line to include like pints and tubs of ice cream as well. So like Ben and Jerry's, Quartha Dairy, and Dust. So that was year one. It was an eye opener. It was interesting. We had a basic site, basic business cards. And then year two came the, the brainchild and the idea. But then year two was 2020. Art season typically starts in about May. So as we all know, March of 2020, we went into the first lockdown. And we were like, oh man, what do we do? Can't operate. We can't do anything. Now, thankfully, like Uber Skip and DoorDash was still going. And we were doing probably five to $6,000 a month in deliveries of ice cream. Oh, wow. Like an absolutely phenomenal, couldn't even keep inventory on the shelves kind of number. Like it was ridiculous. And so we still driving with the bikes or for some of these other words was it just take it just put it in your car and in a freezer or sorry in a cooler and just take it to the clients yeah so we were doing nothing other than packing it into a bag and the uber driver shows up here to the restaurant picks it up and drives it to the customer just if you were to order chinese food or anything else on uber skip and doordash they drive to the restaurant pick it up deliver it to you we're a restaurant in this instance it saves the maintenance on the bikes too because if you're not having to physically bike it to, like I said, this is all over, and, and I'm not, like I'm very new to the uh, Ubers and the uh, Skip the Dish in terms of knowing what is the range. Is there like a, a like a bound, like a border range of you know, where you, where clients can order it from? Yeah, they they have a per kilometer ratio, okay. but it seems to expand seems to have expanded over the last while because at one point in time we only operated in Whitby and that's as far as yeah, Uber that's what, DoorDash would go. That's what I thought. Now like we have drivers coming here and they're like, oh man, this order is going so far away. And I'm like, what do you mean? Oh, it's going up to Ontario Tech University. <laughs> I'm like, oh okay. No wonder they with a twelve dollar delivery fee on a pint of ice cream. Yeah. Uh, 
you're in Ontario Tech, there's a convenience store like right across the street <laughs> from the university, but I'm not going to say boo. Yeah. Yeah. So that was year into year two is when the pandemic hit. So what are we going to do? And then we started getting into it and you started seeing those like drive-by parades, drive-by birthday parties, drive-by everything because nobody could go out and do anything. We tagged on to that idea and we launched our birthday packages. Now, in the year before, like year one, we did like four birthday parties. That was it. It wasn't really something we thought about doing. Don't ask me why. We were just so focused on the traditional model. Uh, so year two, we launched this birthday party pack. And then secondly, we also sponsored, we got into a sponsorship with a go-kart racer. But I'll tell you more about that in a spec. Ooh. So we launched the birthday party package. It was a basic 150 bucks, get to an hour, 30 ice creams. And we did it for Ajax, Whippy, Oshawa. And then if you wanted to go out from there, it was an extra like $25 for every 30 minutes. For everything. And we were so busy that we had to bring on extra staff. I just rented a U-Haul trailer and kept it in the driveway for three months. We did 134 parties wow. year two. We ended up growing from 45K to $100,000 in sales in the second year through the pandemic. It was wild, crazy, busy, changing restrictions, not knowing what to do. Like, obviously, waiting for first dose, second dose, whatever. Mm-hmm. Waiting for the vaccine to come out, which didn't come out until the end of the year. And because we're young and healthy, like, I wasn't even eligible until, like, halfway through this year. It's been, it was an interesting year in its own, but it opened up our eyes to things that we weren't doing. And we lost out on a few events that year because we didn't have an ice cream truck. There's a lot of nostalgia and love for the ice cream bikes, but people still want ice cream trucks. So year two led us to buying an ice cream truck. Wow. Now I went throughout year two and did a lot of events sitting next to food trucks. And the biggest complaint about any food truck on the planet, how noisy it is when it's running that generator. Yeah. Now, I will say, our friends over at Gangster Cheese, they did the smart thing. They bought like the $10,000 Honda EU 7000. It's like a whisper quiet generator. I'll do an event with them any day, man. It's so quiet. It's delightful. Uh I'm standing right next to the thing half the time. Like yelling over generators. Anyways, they, they've done a great job. So if you ever want to talk to somebody else, look them up. But yeah, so we bought the truck, but we have big vision, big plans for it. And that'll be coming available in this coming summer, year four. Ice cream truck with the solar panels. We won't run a generator. The whole truck itself, the truck itself runs on gas, but all of the equipment inside, the freezer, the novelty freezer, the slushy machine, all of it runs off solar power. Wow. If you don't want, want to get too much into it, like how like that had to be retrofitted onto it or do you bought the truck that ha- already had it? So it has to be retrofitted onto it. So we bought an old handy bus. Uh, the idea was, was like we could buy an old like Grumman food truck, but mm. the Grumman food trucks have like zero guts, them, no power, no ability to like even drive more than 80 kilometers an hour. So we bought an old handy bus that was used to carrying weight. Okay. Right, like it still has the lift in it. Oh, runs on gas and or propane, but it's an old like. So it's the our our entire fleet, might I say, is all Fords. 
yeah, no, it's a good fit. And I, I'll give you some exclusive when it comes out because it's not available yet. It's not ready. All the stuff gets added on in February, March of this year so that it can be Ooh. on the road for May. Thanks. Maybe we'll definitely bring it. Maybe for our kid's birthday, we'll bring you guys on, man. That'd be great. Yeah, for sure. We'll and then, uh, yeah, so that was year two. It was busy. Yeah, you, year- you, you flourished during that time, right? Because I think for a lot of people in the food service industry, with the restrictions and everything, a lot of them had to close down or be only takeout only. And some of them, they're, they're, the way their, I guess, the, their business model is for their food, it, it's not about the takeout. It's all about the dining experience. And some of those yeah. struggled and they took heavy losses and some unfortunately never came back. But it's great to hear that there are some success stories in the food service industry uh, like yourself. Yeah, it was challenging. It was hard to see some businesses not be able to make it right. Like even restaurants that we liked that didn't make it through or others that had to pivot just like us, like the, the word of 2021 pivot, right? Nice. 2020. Like even the guys, like I'll use gangster cheese as an example. Like they had a full on restaurant and a food truck and they got out of the food trucks to get into the restaurant and then went back to the food trucks. <laughs> and now they have two gangster cheese trucks and a gangster cheesecake truck because it was just, they're like, you know what? This model is way more successful. And they've made a name for themselves. So it's much easier. And then similar to us, yeah, you know what? We'll probably have a shop one day. But the model of sending a bike to a plate to get sales and get kind of things done is so much easier for us. Commission wise, like we pay the riders on commission. I can have five bikes operating at once or more, right? Like it's just. You get more bang for your buck when you're able to be in more places at once. Running a store, you're reliant on people coming to you versus you being able to come to them. Yeah, you rely on the foot. Of... Yeah, you rely on the foot traffic, and if there's exactly. no foot traffic, that, th- those payments are still coming out. Whether there's one person that buys a lot or a bunch of people that come by at all, right? Yeah. Whether I have a brick and mortar and have to pay thousand, fifteen, two thousand dollars a month in rent, that rent is still coming. Yeah. Whatever I do. Whereas now operate from our home and yeah i charge canada to go and rent i'm a pretty easy landlord but it's we operate the business in autonomy right like it, it needs to be able to operate itself and pay for its own expenses we don't invest any more into it the business does its own thing so wow it's almost bit of business on autopilot almost in, in some respect right yeah except for the you know year three when i had to do 230 events by myself pretty much yeah oh my god for that part explain get into that a little bit what happened why did you have to do everything by yourself on that one so we once again so year three was this year and we we continued down the path of doing the the parties like we saw such great success we were like okay let's double down on that and we didn't we didn't really do any advertising and i'll give a shout out to uh, the durham region eats group on facebook like it immensely helped businesses. So Eric Novak is the guy who was the brain. The, this was his brainchild was Durham Region Eats. So it gave businesses a place to really go and showcase who they are and what they can do. And for us, it was simply advertising parties yeah. in a platform where it didn't cost me to advertise. So we post out that we're doing birthday parties. We're back in business. We're ready for the spring. And within a week, I think my entire June was filled. Wow. Now, the problem with our business is you remember who Dickie D is. I remember who Dickie D is, but no te- no, no teenager on the planet knows who Dickie D is. <laughs> and if they don't know who Dickie D is, they certainly don't know who Canada Cone is. So we're getting to that stage now where there's some recognition. Like, 
Like we've been out on events and be like, oh, Canada Cone's coming instead of, oh, Dickie D, which is great and gratifying, but it's still very difficult to find staff. And with the model we were operating on, we were paying a commission. I've been in commission sales for basically my entire working career. Yeah, outside of yeah, outside of Canada Cone, I have a full time job. But and I've been in commission sales for pretty much my entire working career. And it takes a real type of person to be able to do that. So we've changed our model for going into this year. I've worked out the calculations on. If we make this much in sales, I can afford to pay this in a still need commission, but it's a guaranteed commission. So it's high, much yeah. easier for me to say, hey, 16-year-old, yeah. do you want to go stand on the soccer field for three hours and make $45? That's it. All you got to do is stand there and sell ice cream. I'll give you 45 bucks. Minimum wage, but it's selling ice cream. So Selling ice cream and they don't have to calculate any cash. It's usually the ice cream touch list now because I think, especially with everything nowadays, they want more of the touch list, the tap options and all that sort of stuff. You'd be amazed at how much cash you still have to take though. Oh, yeah? <laughs> you'll still, you still have the idea that Dickie D only takes cash. Um, oh. But we still, when we take cash, we take credit, we take debit. We'll take gold bullion for all I care. But <laughs> if you want to pay me in chickens. Takes about six for an ice cream. No. Six, <laughs> six, six chicken. I would love to see that on the menu. So it's a you know method of payment. You know, you see the the Visa logo, the Mastercard logo, and a chicken. <laughs> I can see that right now. So I know you brought in here. So what is your what's your plan for growth then? So you've been like exceeding every single year. Like where do you yeah. see Canada Co in the next year, next five years? What do you guys plan on doing? Expanding, like you said, I know you touched a little bit on maybe doing a brick and mortar store, but maybe doing something else. What do you think? So the next year, the plan is to continue doing what's made us successful over the last couple of years. And that's continue with parties, continue with events and continue with sponsorships. So we have a sponsorship with a go-kart racer where we're at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. The go-kart track, whenever they're racing, which is about eight to 12 races a year. So we're there. And it's usually a three to $500 day for us. And then on the back end of last year, once uh, youth soccer came back. We actually put a sponsorship in place with Aja, no, sorry, Oshawa, Whitby, and Pickering. And Pickering FC was actually the most perceptive of the whole group. Uh, Oshawa was good too, uh, and Whitby was also good, but we had a harder time because it was near the end of August, and quite frankly, I was getting burnt out. Right. But we were placing a bike at every event, and what we do at their games is we give a free ice cream to the player of the game. So there's the Canada Cone player of the game, that person comes over with a little ticket and gets a free ice cream. But you have more than one kid. What happens when one kid gets something? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's it. So, so, sorry to cut you off one second because I have to tell the listeners. Eric and I used to work together probably a few years ago when we were working at St. John Ambulance, medical first responders. So we worked a lot of shifts together. And so after I left, I think I don't, you're not still doing St. John Ambulance anymore, I'm assuming, Eric, or are you still doing it? I am. Yes. Still out. Okay. So, Deputy chief of operations, but that's oh, it. Uh, that's right. Yeah, so he's still in there. So I remember this this past year, my son's uh, baseball game, and uh, it was the season finale or the series finale, whatever you want to call it. And who happens to be pulling in with his bike, but Canada Cone? And yep. I can I kid you not, listeners, that there was a huge lineup waiting for it. Because to, to piggyback off Eric's point, that Canada Cone player of the game, they get a ticket. But he just said, you have more kids? If one kid gets an ice cream, 
most likely a lot of kids are going to want ice cream. So, you know, that's an awesome model that you guys had. Yeah, even for the Ajax baseball piece, we probably, we were prepaid for about, I don't know, 250, 300 kids. But we probably sold five or 600 kids worth of ice cream. Wow. Because everybody had a sibling or yeah. a parent. My daughter's never gotten an ice cream without me getting an ice cream. <laughs> That's true. And, and I felt bad for my son because he got it. He walked away and, and the ice cream fell. And we're like, oh, no. I hope this is a still con. Yeah, I think it was like, a, I can't remember what it was, but he dropped it because like, he opened it. He was about to eat it. And I guess some reason it fell on the ground. There's no five second rule when it falls on like a baseball field, especially where all the dust. Yeah, you can't scrape that stuff off. So we had to bow our head a little bit and say, Sorry, man. He dropped it. And so you're more than welcome to. He was little well known fact, or should be a well known fact. If a kid drops their ice cream, the kid can come back and get another one from me. There you go. I will charge for it. I'm not going to be that guy. Like, it's more about the customer service experience for me than it is the I'm going to make $3 on an ice cream. I don't care that much. Yeah. Specifically, these snow cones that we carry, everybody loves them. But if you hold on to them too tight, they rock it up out of the coat. <laughs> Listen, I've had people come up where it's, oh, their car has been declined or whatever. Their kids already have it. No, I'm like, take the ice cream. It's $6. Like, I'm not hurting for $6. I'd rather see the smile on that kid's face than make $6 in my bank account. So, yeah, well, that's it goes really a long way. Yeah, that, that's really good. And it shows you how much the customer service experience means to a lot of people nowadays. Because maybe that they don't have a lot of money, but, oh, okay, this is the only treat we have. And, like you said, they drop it and they're, and you're more than welcome to make sure that, that kid has a great experience because if they have a great experience with you, the next time you come back to another event, they're going to be itching to get back because they rem- and they'll remember, oh, we had a great experience last time. Maybe not the kid, but at least the grownups who are paying for it will remember the experience that your company offers. I think that's really great. Yeah. So I think we touched upon this already. So you talked about your growth that you're taking at the next few years. You're looking to really expand this and uh we talked about i think you talked about the biggest expense so far was i guess the truck and some of those other things but what are some other expenses that i guess the people in the food service industry don't recognize that actually exist yeah so some of the other like just weird expenses right obviously we have packaging stuff for uber and skip and doordash and all that buying paper bags and all that random stuff that you wouldn't think of and then there's obviously product costs but on top of that, it's multiple pieces of insurance that I pay for. Really? Like insurance on the bikes, insurance on the products, paying the city their fees for being able to operate. Because even though it's an ice cream bike, it's still considered a food truck. So oh. every one of my bikes has to be licensed in like multiple cities to be able to operate legally to be on the road. Oh. Obviously, our ice cream truck, even though it's not on the road yet, I still have to insure it. It's still going to be here in the driveway thing catches fire i wanted to make sure it's got insurance on it events when we go to an event not actually i just sent off an email this morning to the drive festival so they it's a change tire motorsport park in september and it's december now and i'm already applying for events for next uh, stuff like that where it's i'm out 25 percent of the event before eight months before the event even happens uh, events range wildly in price like anything from like a hundred dollars for an event i think the caribbean festival was like 250 dollars for the event in ajax to this one is one of the most expensive ones i'll ever do at fifteen hundred dollars 
but they expect 25,000 people to show up. So you want to make and, sure you have your co- you have enough product in that case, eh? Exactly. And our, our rule of thumb is we always ask how many people are going to attend an event, and we take 10% of that as those would be our patron. Right. right? And then times it by three because I sell everything at $3 an ice cream. And I think that's something interesting to note, too, is we, if you look at an ice cream truck that's on the road, right? I'm sure everybody's seen an ice cream truck. Mm-hmm. Even the basic novelties that we carry, they're probably in and around $3.50, $4, $5 for a novelty. Five bucks or more for an ice cream. Slushies are God knows what, but expensive. And we've really tried to keep our price point down to $3. Everything we carry is $3. And there are a couple items that I literally make 20 cents on just to stick with that same price point model. Yeah. Keeps families engaged. It keeps, like you said, like maybe this is our one treat a week. Like, I don't want to be turning people off with a five dollar ice cream. So, like, even our ice cream truck, everything single scoop, I'll say, will be three dollars. <laughs> if you want more than one scoop, I'm going to charge you more than three dollars. But so even our ice cream truck, everything's three dollars. Yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me of, of the whole Costco model, where I think I remember seeing this business right. where they're saying Costco they probably don't even make money on the dollar fifty hot dog and a drink. So, you lose, well, like eight cents worth of syrup in every pop, but yeah, but they're losing money on that hot dog deal. But yeah. I, we went to hot, we went to Costco last week to get a hot dog, <laughs> and I walked out with five hundred dollars in groceries. So <laughs> who's losing? Who's right. really it's, losing? They can swallow that cost. <laughs> so interesting. So uh, I was on your website, and I noticed you have a lot of social media presence. So how important is the social media piece to, to your business, and what tools do you use? So social media is very important and it, it's more that keeping us top of mind that's the important part of it we're still i'm still learning i'm still growing with it i can do all of the social media presence for canada code so not only am i out at the events doing the my wife Mila is at all like a taking care of university of doordash all that sort of stuff stocking bikes that need to go out taking care of our daughter um because <clears throat> we have no other help here and olivia was still olivia grew up with this business so far right? Like she was like maybe one years old when we bought the bikes. Now she's four and a half. And we don't have, have you'll, you'll, you'll have her running the bike sooner or later, right? I, you, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'd probably taken a picture of it and put it on social media, but we actually do have a bike specifically for her. Yeah. It's the princess popsicle bike. And it's a little <laughs> tiny pink bike with her own branded logo on it. Wow. It says popsicle by Canada home. So we actually like, have... Uh, three logos for Canada Con. Oh, and sorry, just so, how much revenue has she generated so far? Because I'm assuming it's really hard to say no to a little like that selling ice cream. We've, we've specifically had party requests for the Princess Popsicle bike. Wow. Wow. Had bookings on the Princess Popsicle bike. Probably three of them, actually. And is she running or is I assume like it's just novelty showing there? And of course, I'm sure there's you put a, little, a few bars in there just to, to show people as well, right? Yeah, so we actually have a specific product for that bike that everything on her bike is only $1. Oh, really? Have like ice cream cups. Like you remember back in school when you'd have like pizza day or whatever, yes. and they'd have get the pizza and the ice cream cup. So we have the yeah. ice cream cups. We have like Revels and fudgesicles and uh, uh, creamsicles and stuff like that. So, okay, we're definitely bringing you for our kid's birthday party then because I, I, <laughs> we're going to make the request for the princess bike. Now, my kids are a little bit older now. I think they're about nine and seven at this point. Uh, yeah, but I think we're we still... bikes. Sorry, 
We bring a Canada cone knife and the princess. There popsicle. you go. We'll bring, I we can't wait to see both. Yeah. All right. So let's chat about the actual industry. So what's your current view on the, based on the current food service industry and its current direction? Uh, it's a challenging, challenging industry to be in. It's a lot of hardship, right? Like it's a lot of hustle. It's a lot of blood, sweat, tears. And it's not just every entrepreneur that has a hard time. It's and restaurant food service industries, I think is a lot harder when they say, I think it's something like 50% of businesses fail in the first X number of years, five years. Mm-hmm. I, I got to say that food service is probably higher than that. Like it's so difficult to stake a brand, get yourselves out there, get yourselves noticed, really like you're trying to plant your flag on Mount Everest. Yeah. And with all the challenges you've seen, like, you know, you're seeing right now, people having a hard time getting cars and stuff like that. And that, all of that kind of like backlog of product and backlog of stuff like, that hits the food service industry just as much, right? Like you saw like, a prime example is the price of chicken wings has actually gone up three times what it was at the beginning of the year. Gone are the days of like 25 cent wings. You'll never see it again. Like soon wing day, wing nights will be like a dollar a wing and that'd be yeah. a normal price. Unbelievable. It's been challenging, but I want to say it this way, that those that want to stick it out and work hard will be successful. But my caveat to that is that won't be the case for everybody. There are people that are probably out there that work harder than I do, that wanted more than I do, but unfortunately will just be unsuccessful. And, and unfortunately, it's unfortunate that that's a statistic and that will happen. And I really, truly feel for those people because they deserve to win, right? Yeah. But it's just where we're at right now, unfortunate. Yeah, and, and the, the thing that's really frustrating about this whole thing is that really, the, especially the food service, none of them really, they didn't do anything wrong. I think for majority of the time, they were following all the rules that was set out. Like they uh, were doing anything. And unfortunately, the way that the testing and the case you know, the tracking and stuff like that it could have been way better because the, unfortunately, I use the analogy, instead of using the a sniper rifle to pick out certain industries that where may, many of these cases are coming, they did the shotgun method, which spreads everywhere and say, okay, everything needs to be shut down or re- restricted in a really tough form. So that, that was really uh, very frustrating for the small businesses because, you know, they're not like, you guys aren't like the Walmarts and the Home Depots and the Costcos that... Yeah, they can absorb that because of scale, scalability, they have so much. And the other ones, like the smaller mom and pop shops and stuff like that, didn't really have that. Think back to like when we were first going through all this and standing in line and waiting, going to the grocery store and stuff like that. You look at the the Walmarts and the Costcos and the whatever of the world. They actually feel like Costco did a pretty good job of it. But you look at the, the Walmarts and the super centers and stuff like that, that were you're standing outside waiting in this like makeshift social distance line. And then you get inside and it's, oh yeah, none of that mattered. It was all for appearances outside. And everybody's like climbing down the aisle with you. And it's, dude, like back up. And I, and I can't go sit at a restaurant where they've put six feet in between tables. They've wrapped it all in plexiglass. They've got like everything sanitized to the nines. Like they've got their staff probably doing 16,000 roll-ups instead of 600 roll-ups because they 
know, everybody needs fresh cutlery all the time, but if they can't touch anything, they can't do anything. The servers are wearing masks and face shields and gloves. And I, I tell you right now, I probably would have eaten off the floor of one of those restaurants. That's probably how clean they were for the most yeah. part. I'm sure there was still, there's still some <laughs> with a failing raid from the health department, but right. uh, it's unfortunate that they took the brunt of it. And that's why I, I, I saw throughout the pandemic, there was a lot of like restaurant groups forming to come together to support each other. Like the Bulldog Pub out of Oshawa actually did a really cool thing, like a Fiesta passport, hmm. where they got about 15 restaurants to come together and be like, okay, we'll promote each other with this passport system. And then at the end, whoever uh, fills out the passport, they get entered in a draw for stuff. Hmm. It was just trying different things to try and keep each other successful, keep each other afloat. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, I always say that as much as some business want to be like the sole one that, that dominates, I don't think that's really necessarily true. Like I, I use, whether you're a personal trainer or whatever, I, I say when I was a personal trainer before, you know, I've seen some trainers that they're trying to dominate the marketplace. They want to train everybody. Yeah. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, you're one trainer. How many people could you actually train in a given workday? So I always feel like you should try to share it in a certain respect with everybody. Because same thing, if you're a car, if you're an auto body shop or a car repair shop, you cannot operate 10,000 cars at your facility in a single day. No. You just need to have enough. Right, just to make sure it, it makes for it. And if it, if the demand is there and you can expand out so you can take a few more cars, great. But the idea of I want to be the only one there, I'm like, that's not really realistic. That's a nice statement, but you ain't going to be the only one there. Yeah. So you need to well, work with the others in a way. Even that, the most successful, like your uh, personal trainer result, right? Like even the most successful, look at Peloton. Right? Oh, yeah. Peloton is not operating on oh, I'm the most successful because I'm the best trainer out there. No, I've got like a team of amazing trainers that is now offering all these courses. Like, it's cheesy and I'll say it, but it's teamwork makes the dream work. Like, there you go. People you got, the more everybody's rowing in the same direction, the more success you'll find. Exactly. No, that's great. So let me ask you this one here. So you can already touch upon this, but like, in your industry right now, what has been your biggest failure, but also biggest success so far? You know what? I, my biggest failure thus far has been recruiting people to help. I just said teamwork makes the dream work, but Canada Cone's success is really on the back of myself and my wife. Mm-hmm. And it's, we've had some staff members throughout the year, staff members, but contractors is what they actually are but we haven't really put a lot of effort into that model probably because i'm a bit of a control freak i mean i know what to do to make it work right and to make something to make this little business successful i we didn't touch on year three of our business but we ended up doing like 210 events so if you remember back year two was like 134 year three was 210 jeez and we did that with less staff than we had the previous year. So, wow. you know, it's, that's been our biggest failure thus far is really getting people on board to help us. Biggest success, honestly, just getting up every day doing it, like putting that work in. There were some days where we were doing 10 events in one day. Like 
birthday party, pack it up, birthday party, pack it up, birthday party, pack it up. And we've had, what we've, what we've had is the opportunity to do some really cool stuff. We've done a day with the Argonauts, actually. I see you're wearing a shirt today. So we actually did a, an event for them. We've been, our bike has been rented to be on the TV show Suits. So we were on. The bike was on Suits? Wow. So funny story. We actually got rented. The bike was rented for Suits. They bought a whole bunch of ice cream from us to hand out to the cast at the end of the day. And they also paid me to be an extra on the show. <laughs> I was You're there famous. for 11 hours. Didn't make the episode. <laughs> oh, no way. They did they cut it from the episode? Yeah, we got cut. <laughs> but did you still get paid, though, for it? Oh, yeah. It was a okay. huge, it was a nice, awesome payday. Don't get me wrong. But we didn't make the episodes. I was going to touch on one of my questions was, what your funniest stories? And I think that pretty much being on suits where it's like our, our bikes are going to be displayed. Everyone's going to see it. And was it actually going to say Canada Cone on there? Or was it just going to be like a, well, they, they just wanted they to borrow the bike? It. Yeah, they rebranded yeah. it with more of a nostalgia. It's like ice cream. Okay, so, but you would they paid the rights to doing that, but they would have given you the money. Okay, that's great, but, oh, man, that that's funny. But I can tell you this, though. You'll have one dedicated staff for sure is when my daughter is of age that she can start working for you because suffice to say, my daughter has said, I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? Dad, I want to run a restaurant and a candy shop. And I'm thinking, okay, now that I know that your business is very successful... All right, you got the, when she's old enough to, well, she can ride a bike, but I don't know if she can uh, do the sales yet. Maybe I'll have her apply to be one of the riders there or to maybe shadow you and maybe help out with your daughter and do something. She can get that experience because I want, if that's what she really wants to do, I want to try to at least encourage it. Now, yeah. maybe she, she might try it and might not like it, but at least she knows. So she's like, okay, maybe I'll stick to buying food versus trying to run an operation. Yeah. Stuff like that. But the good thing is this year, we don't need the help for Olivia. We got smart and she got old enough that we could put her into a summer camp all day. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Okay. All right. We talked about that. So now it's like the tips from a pro kind of segment that we were going to do here. So this is what you know, maybe potentially aspiring people who want to maybe jump in on your industry where they might have some just general questions. Because that's what probably this podcast is about, is just to try to motivate and educate people who maybe want to start something, regardless of what it is, whether they're like a Uber Lyft driver, they could be a contractor, they could be anything. And uh, I want them on the podcast to really hear this. But also to hear pros like yourself who, who are successful at your business, what are some advice you can generally give them? So here, I'll ask the first question is, and this is for people where they're trying to get in, or maybe they're currently running a food operation right now. First question, should I diversify my service offerings to attract a wider variety of clients? I'm a big fan of to do one thing and do it well. So we sell ice cream. We've, the, I would say the only thing if you want to diversify is diversify with the same product. And I'll give you an example. Is on our Uberscape and DoorDash menu, we have Canada Own Creations. So you can buy a Sunday, you can buy a, Banana split, you can buy a, I, I don't know, ice cream float, whatever. But, and then we also have ice cream nachos, which is a cool little product. But, you know, it's, it's all stuff that ultimately comes back to your original product that you're doing and you're doing well. I'm not going to be an ice cream guy and then all of a sudden open up a coffee cart. Like, probably be okay at it, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't speak to the one thing that you're doing well. 
if you're going to diversify, make sure that your original business is stable. So almost like if you are deciding to add something, make it complementary to your core, you know, revenue drivers. So you, like you said, you don't want to be the ice cream cart that now sells hot dogs. And like you said, you probably could sell it well, but then does it make sense, right? For your OR vision? Is it, is exactly. it going to be called Canada Cone and hot dogs? I don't know if that's what you want to call it. So Canada Cone means people know what that is. So excellent. I do have a vision for the future of having Canada Cone dogs. But that's a whole different story. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So, so if someone comes to you and says, Eric, I, I want to get into the food service industry, what should be the first piece of equipment I should buy or invest in? Sorry. Depends on their interest. I, I would say, I mean, before you're buying anything, is you're investing in something that's going to make you happy and you're going to have a passion for doing, right? If your first thing is you're going to go out and buy a pizza oven, you better really like selling and making pizzas. That that depends, right? If it's you know Canada going and you're going to go start a rival ice cream bike business, then uh, you probably should buy an ice cream bike first. Uh, yeah. But but on top of that, then you need a freezer, right? Freezer, like, okay. And you need ice packs, and you need ice cream, and you need a business license, and you need <laughs> never ends, never ends. <laughs> it's 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 interesting to me the amount of. Um, phone calls we get that say, I want to start my own ice cream business. Do you have a bike to sell? Let me walk you through what you need to run an ice cream business first. And then, oh yeah, by the way, the bike costs $3,000. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I just wanted to do it on the weekends for fun. It's not a hobby, right? It's a business. So yeah. I would say that's the biggest piece of advice to give is it's not a hobby. Like if you're going to make it work as a business, then you got to work, right? Yeah. Even if you wanted it as a hobby, you're gonna have you're only gonna get so much growth and so much sales. But if that's but if that's what your goal is, if I only want to make just money, and I'm willing yeah. to work for let's say a weekend to try to make as much spending money, and that's all I want to use for, that's fine. That, that that's okay. But if you're trying to scale and you're trying to get to the levels of success that you have, it's gonna take a lot more than you know one bike and then try to hustle. You might make a little bit, but you're not going to be able to expand and to offer and to hit these parties and hit these sponsorship <laughs> events that bring in a lot more revenue to the company, right? One Owning one bike is as much work as owning eight bikes. Like, it just is. <laughs> Logistically, it's no, a little easier, but like, it's still the same amount of work. Yeah, no, exactly. All right, so the next question here. All right, so this is not really what the question is. What should I name my business? But actually, I might flip it around. It says, what should I not name my business? It's definitely, once again, it falls into the line of something that you like, something that you're passionate about, something that's easy to talk about for you. Like Canada Cone made a lot of sense for us, right? Yeah. Like we're Canadian with ice cream cones. Like it, it's not difficult. Yeah. Um, and for us, it was more the logo actually is what helped drive the business. So the logo, it's what helps drive the name of the business, but I would say stick with something that speaks to people, not just that as actually probably the, the, I would say in both of those categories of what should I name it, not versus what not to name it. Stick with something that speaks to everybody and not just you as a person, right? If you were going to go out and start, one of the names we thought of was like ice cream medic. Okay. That doesn't make any sense to anybody but me. It doesn't make any sense unless I'm driving an ambulance around selling ice cream. Right? You could borrow St. John Ambulance one, but I don't know if they'd take kindly to it. But yeah. No. Say I'll have like 300,000 kilometers and break down. Yes. That's oh, all the stories we have of some of those ones. But yeah. No, that, that, that's really good to hear because, you know, that's the thing. It's one of those things that I'm trying to get the listeners to listen to is 
if they want to get into it here, what potentially some of the the landmines that they could potentially see. So if they still want to do it, at least they're going in and having like yourself approach them tips, like here are some of the things you have to really keep in mind. But that might scare you or that make you maybe really start more on a smaller scale or that could be like, okay, maybe you need to think about a different venture that isn't so maybe capital intensive or time intensive or whatever you want to call it. So that, that's really good to hear. That's what I want the listeners to know. It's like, I don't want them to get involved with something where they invest their life savings, all this money, and they, it just doesn't work out or they really don't like it. And that's horrible. Definitely. I've heard some really great ideas uh, over the last. Inevitably talking about your business, brings other people to talk about ideas that they have for a business and stuff like that. And over the last couple of years, I've heard some really awesome ideas as far as what a business might actually be for somebody. But a lot of the times it's capital that, that holds them out of that idea. Or, quite frankly, I've heard some really awful ideas. <laughs> and I, I'm not shy to tell somebody that I don't think their idea is good or it needs some tweaks. Because I think too often when you go into, oh, I, I think this would be a great idea. And you, look, you go talk to your family and friends and, and well-meaning or not, your family and friends are like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. You should start that. And uh, if you have an idea, go run it by a business professional and, and see if they think it's a good idea too. Don't just, yeah. Ken's a good guy, but don't just rely on Ken to tell you that ah, it's a great idea, right? Someone you respect that is not going to be mean about it, but they will tell you, okay, like you said, this is going to need some tweaks. Right? I think yeah. that's a perfect way to let someone down or make someone really think, do they really want to pursue this idea? Because yep. if you just say, no, it's, that's not really, that's not very constructive it's at constructive. all. <laughs> but if you say, here's, you need to tweak this and this in order to, at least from my view, from the limited information you're giving me, these are the tweaks you need first before you can continue with it. So at least they have an idea because everyone has a very, like you said, tunnel vision, right? They're only focused on their thing and they don't see anything outside of that that's why for my business it's more for aside from the podcast is that i also do website and mobile app testing right because i, I am that third eye that uh you know small businesses can look at their sites or their apps because i'm not bashing any developers because i'm sure they did a great job but if i'm going in as a customer or a client and i and you know where i work right now i'm in procurement so we have to look for suppliers and a lot of these times, I have to go to websites to, to source suppliers for any product or service that we need. So I can tell you now, if your site sucks, no offense, we're probably not going to pursue any type of business arrangement with you. So that's what that's important. But anyways, enough about that. How do you balance everything, Eric, right now? Husband, father, entrepreneur, owner, operator, all that sort of stuff. You got a young family. How do you balance it? Because I think another thing that small business owners have issues with is, man, how do I, you know, what we say, leave the 40-hour job to work an 80-hour job as a small business owner. How do you do it? So a couple of things. My business really operates for five months. It's a little easier to say, okay, from May long weekend to September long weekend, and I, and you're always looking for that finish line, right? Like September long weekend. But usually by the time I get to August long weekend, I'm pretty over it. Second thing is my wife is fantastic right like she allows for it to be to happen and to allow the crazy hours and to put up with me it's having a good support system my daughter's still very young so like she's like she gets it but she still doesn't quite get it so it actually makes it a little bit easier it's hard though right like it's it is 
pointed out, like, you work your 40 hour a week to then go work an 80 hour a week job. I, I do have a full-time job. I'm the national sales director for a medical company. And then to leave that job and then go right hand to call them into the at evenings and weekends and like literally working seven days a week for five months, like eight to 16 hours a day, it's difficult. If you got A, the drive, B, the passion, C, the support system is probably the more important part of that. Instead, it's doable, but it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, it's not easy. And and if, if the listeners listen, Eric is basically saying, if your significant other says no, that's going to be a bit of a challenge. So having them buy in, do whatever you can to try to set the expectations that, yeah, give it that time frame, like actually give a full-blown effort. Now, we're not saying deprive yourself of being your, being around your family, obviously, but making sure that there's a way that it's well communicated and there are some dedicated times where it's just family time. We're not, the phones will be away. The computer's going to be put down. We're actually just going to hang out. Even if it's just even like a couple hours on a weekend or something, as long as there's that balance there. Cause I, I can recall now trying to make this fast. When I used to run my car detailing business, 99% of the clients would come to our house to drop off the cars and I'd be working on it. I'd have a couple of people help me. And my children who were younger at the time, they didn't understand. Yes, daddy was home, but then daddy is working. So they don't understand why they couldn't come out and try and play with me. I'm working on a client's car and I'm, I'm overseeing a couple of guys helping me out. So it's like, okay, that was a big struggle. But now, thankfully, we're in a time where I can find it's better balance for me. And I think we want we should try to motivate others to try to find that balancing. Because the last thing you want is burnout. Because if you burn out, your system's going to, your business is going to suffer. I think most people can relate to that sentiment now, specifically with the, I've been working from home for the last two years and young kids trying to play with you and you're in a meeting and doing whatever. My daughter walking in place. It just happens. And we're, we're all accustomed to it now. But yeah, definitely take yeah. take the time to, right? Like it's July 8th every single year. So Canada Cone doesn't do any birthday parties, doesn't do anything on those days. We're still open. We still operate. It's actually free ice cream day here. If you come by and say happy birthday to Olivia, we give you an ice cream for free. So <laughs> that's awesome, man. So yeah. no, that's good. And just so last question, before we get into the fun rapid fire stuff here. So what has been, so you said your main busy periods are from like the May to September long weekends, right? So during that off quote unquote off season, how much of the Uber Eats, the food delivery platforms bring in while you're before and after those peak periods? Is it, do you see a, a big rise or a big fall or the, it, it gives you just enough to maintain while you're waiting for the following uh, season to open. Yeah, so we do definitely get a big drop in sales starting October. <clears throat> but we do about, say, $1,000 a month uh, in sales through the like Uber, Skip, DoorDash. And what that basically does is pays for our insurance for the truck, the bikes, et cetera, pays our business license, pays for the, you know, we have a pest control company to make sure we don't have any bugs and stuff yeah. like So it pays for all of those expenses throughout the winter, but we certainly don't make money from like October till April kind of thing. And a start is when we start to ramp up and offer the parties again and start the bookings. Um, but you'd be surprised. I have a booking next week, actually. So oh, wow. like we're still open. If somebody wants to book an ice cream, like in December, I'll more than happily show up. Just nobody thinks about booking an ice cream bike in December. <laughs> that is true. That is true. And so if you can briefly touch upon this, like uh, we, we, forgot, we totally, we were totally, this episode has been all about the business side. We forgot to ask, what about your personal story? Like, how did you get to where you are now? And Short-ish story, but 
not unimportant. I grew up in a small town in northern British Columbia. We had 4,500 people in my hometown. So when I went to high school, it was like 400 kids in the entire school. That was grades 8 through 12. After school, graduated, moved to Calgary, where I went to take business. Lived there for 12 years. That's where I met my wife. And then we were, I was working in outside sales business and took a job for Staples. The business to business side, not the retail side. I ran a team there, was fairly successful doing that. And there's an opportunity to move to the head office and run a team here because they were struggling with getting good sales managers. But we took that transfer. Mile and I took the adventure and came out to Ontario. And oh, that was six or seven years ago now. Six, six, yeah, six years ago now. I'm not obviously not with Staples anymore. Been a couple different jobs here and there. It's been good. It's we've lived in Whitby the entire time we lived in Ontario. In fact, our first rental property was like three blocks from where we are right now, and that uh-huh. we fell in love with the neighborhood. We really liked it, and you know, after that kind of year one of business with Canada Cone, we were running it out of our townhouse, right wow. in the little any like one car garage or townhouse, and we obviously knew that wasn't sustainable. So we moved uh, to this place where we're at now, which is probably our forever home to be honest mm-hmm. and uh, it's been great i met my wife in calgary and you know obviously blessed to have our daughter and uh, one and done for all those that are wondering i keep saying we got it right the first time so yeah right. that is awesome and and i know we want to touch a story really quickly we had a little bit before we started recording you were actually a radio dj you said yeah so back back in the day one of the one of the things I wanted to do for my career was to be a radio d j uh so I actually started working for in my hometown we have a small little like radio uh, station there c h m one o three point five and uh I started out as like a volunteer d j was doing an evening show with the co-host of mine who uh, she actually works for global television now wow but uh, so we did get a two hour show. Tuesday nights. And then in my last year of high school, the station manager needed to move to Vancouver to take care of his ailing mother. They were looking for a morning show host. And I happened to have completed like almost all of my high school credits before the last semester of the year. So that last semester was when they needed this morning show host. But I only had afternoon classes. So I would get up at four o'clock in the morning, drive to the radio station, do a radio show until about 11 o'clock doing the on-air spots that I needed to do and record and this and that, and then go to school. Wow. And then when I left school, I worked, I briefly worked for Shine FM in Calgary. Wow, look at that. He's got a lot of interesting stories, I have to admit. All right, rapid-fire questions as we're going to be wrapping up here. All right, question one, Eric. Who would you have dinner with? If you could have dinner with anybody, who would it be in the world and why? I'm just going to go a straight celebrity and just say Keanu Reeves because he seems like a really interesting dude. Yes, like, very much so. I've seen a lot of YouTube and news articles saying how really nice he is. Very humble, very down to earth, and very generous. Yeah. Excellent. Keanu Reeves. Good. All right. Is cereal a soup? Why or why not? No. A, no. B, uh, great question. No, because it's crunchy. I don't know if I've ever had a crunchy soup. And secondly, you got to oil soup. You got to bring it up to a consistency. You don't pour the hard stuff in and then pour the soft stuff in afterwards. Although 
That's how I make my cereal. I realize people do it the wrong way, which is pour <laughs> the milk in and then the cereal, but that's their choice, not mine. People pour the milk first? Google it, man. It's gross. I know. I always... It's, all... it's always the cereal first, then the milk. I don't get... Listeners, if you have that, please let me know. I'm just kind of curious. So we, <laughs> that, that, this is the first time I've heard of the milk first, then cereal. It just seems weird to me. And weird to American. <laughs> That's American. All right. What is your 15-year-old self? Like, what would your 15-year-old self be imagining you doing right now? I was definitely driving a sports car in my own head at 15. <laughs> not a Ford Focus. Not a Ford Focus. <laughs> not, not riding ice cream bikes. I always had... Back in that time, I always had these grandiose ideas and plans. And this is probably where the entrepreneurship comes from. Is I always had ideas, always had plans. I wanted to build a mini golf course to run that or start a candy store. All that stuff that your daughter's dreaming about. Wow. That's where I started. So, yeah, definitely was rich and famous and successful in driving a sports car. <laughs> uh, I'm not doing any of those, but I'm very happy with where I'm at now. No, that's good. And I'll make this last story from my end. When I was younger, in my, my late teens, early 20s, I actually thought of a company. I just happened to see a company that was offering as I was working out at a gym and they were offering, it was called a reminder service. So for an annual fee, they'll be the ones that will call you, text you. Well, that's, I don't know if they had texting, but they would call you to remind you. It's almost like a concierge kind of thing, service. And I thought, man, that'd be great. So maybe I can set up a service where I can like have a list, have an appointment book. I would call people if that's what they wanted, if they paid for it. I'll call them to remind them on certain things. Like, you got to pick up your dry cleaning. Don't forget to get the potatoes from the grocery store. All that sort of stuff. And uh, all that before the smartphone realm came in, where basically you had put everything on your phone or putting everything on a virtual calendar. So I had a feeling that I'm glad I didn't really try that business because I would have been out by the time the, the first smartphones came out. So... Yeah, very interesting stuff. Or you would have been wildly successful and developed the first app to do that, Mr. App Developer. And uh, and you would have been <laughs> fantastically rich and famous. And Apple would have bought it, and it would have been the task thing on their phone now. Who knows? I'm going to think it's the first scenario, not not the second scenario, Eric. <laughs> but else? And, and just a correction, just before I ask the last couple of questions, not an app developer, a tester. So I'm not a techie by any means. It's more like... You're developing an app. I test it on everything from what the user would experience. So if it's something's not working or something doesn't make sense, that's the kind of testing I'm doing. It's not uh, going in looking at code because I cannot, I do not have the patience to look at code. But uh, anyways, aside from that one here, last couple of questions there, my friend. If you could write a book, what would it be about and why? Oh, God, I don't know. Probably something to do with sales and just like the art of communication and how that is so crucial to the sales process just yeah being trusted being no that trusted advisor and how crucial that is to your sales process but you being what you say it was a purchaser and purchase procurement yeah procurement procurement is trained to ignore what the sales guy is saying and actually get down to just the nitty-gritty of it but being that communicator that trusted advisor to an organization that can actually break down the barrier of dealing with a procurement guy showing the value as well as getting past just the price conversation to show the value so exactly and, and i think that's what the thing we're limited to is that people think you work in procurement you get to buy a bunch of stuff yeah but at the end of the day we still have to sell it to the business partners the executives who actually say yes or they can totally ignore your recommendation altogether and say you know what yeah you you, you 
you like supplier A, but yeah, we're going to go with supplier B. So all this due diligence of trying to like. Had that exact scenario happen to me where I went on site to a client and demoed a defibrillator, showed them features, benefits, why defibrillator A was better than defibrillator B. Wrong. If you have a defibrillator on site, your leaps and bounds ahead of your life-saving equipment is definitely the way to go. But I sold the crap out of this defibrillator and why it was better. And procurement was like, price is cheaper on that one. So we're going to buy that one. <laughs> Not as good. It doesn't make any sense. I know. It, it's, that's unfortunate how some of these things are. It's like, no matter how hard you try, the people who say yes to it, they could listen and they, they treat you like that advisor. Right? I think it's like the same thing, whether it's your, the prime minister or the president, you're going to have advisors, right? And each of them has their <sighs> own play of what, why they think they should do it. But at the end of the day, you are not telling the president or the prime minister what to do. They're going to take your information under advisement and maybe they go with you. Maybe yep. they go with the, uh, the alternative, but that's unfortunately the way it is. All right. Last fun question here, Eric. This is what I ask all my guests here. What is your theme song and why? So if you're walking down and this song hits. People hear this song. They see you coming. They know Eric's coming down. Which song is that? Oh, that's a good one. I used to always have, there's a specific Garth Brooks song that kind of talks about like people doubting you. And then like in the end, you're like, aha, I showed you. <laughs> Honest to God, I can't remember the name of it. But <laughs> That is it. Like, it blends everything so perfectly together for me. A, love of country music. B, Garth Brooks is fantastic. And C, like this, coming from a small town, kind of being doubted, like not like big fish, small pond type thing, and then coming to the big city trying to make it. Like, yeah, yeah that's definitely it. If awesome. I can think of it, I'll send you an email so you can include it in your <laughs> we'll in, in the file here. But We'll do it. So last couple questions and like we're just wrapping up here is there any general advice you want to give to listeners who are thinking about wanting to start something just what are some general advice that guidelines you can give them that they can be passionate about it be interested in it and at the end of the day make sure you've got support right if you don't have support you won't be successful wow good here and any last time final plug for canada cones websites and any social media that you guys have yeah so you can check us out canadacone.ca Yes.ca, not.com. We're in Canada. You yes. got to make sure it represents. Yes. Um, and we're on Facebook and Instagram at Canada Cone. Feel free to tag us all, whatever. Talk to us. We do birthday parties, bar mitzvahs, weddings. If you can dream it, I can make it. If it's an ice cream product that you haven't seen in a long time and you're like, man, I wish I could have that, hit me up because I pretty much have investigated every piece of ice cream that's on the planet at this point in time to find out where it's at. We're all low customer service. Awesome. Hear that, folks? So thank you very much again, Eric, and I appreciate uh, you coming on. Um, thanks, Ken. All right, guys, that was our interview with Eric Davey of Canada Cone. Eric gave some awesome tips. My favorite one is actually run it by a business professional so they can give you truthful feedback on your business venture. I think family and friends usually have good intentions, not poo-pooing on your idea, but having a person who can actually tell you the truth if something's missing is what I believe is more valuable than the, oh, it's a great idea. So that's it, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the SME Stories podcast, which is owned by Northway Capital Group. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Northway Capital Group.